0: Hi I'm Leo Welch and I'm on the
1: rope. You're listening to Australia's number one ski racing podcast on, on the, the rope. rope sponsored by Colley's Towbars and bull bars featuring Chelsea Stevens, Jack Coldrake, Mick Kelly, Dave Bishop, Tim Horbury, and Wade Bennett. My name's Mick Lumpton now let's head to the 10. Welcome along to On The Road Podcast and thanks so much for listening. As usual, we couldn't do it without our great sponsors. Savage Force Merchandise, Rubber Jungle, Bullet Boats and of course, Coldies, Towbars and Bull Bars. We have another three hundred and fifty dollars gift bag to give away. Our last winner, Brandon, was very happy. Do you actually know why Tim rang you this afternoon? Oh, we've got yeah. We had a little bit of a chat just on the phone before uh, about a couple of uh, ideas that have been through a couple of your you guys' mind um, about the way this uh, podcast is kind of going. Yeah. Um, So I was jump uh, hoping to have a bit more of a chat with you guys about that. Yeah, no, well, to tell you the truth, you've actually won our $350 prize package. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Brandon. So, we, um, Brandon, we, we don't want your input. We've just got to give you something. <laughs> Man, you're doing pretty good at that. You've done that very well. So all you have to do to enter is listen to Bisho's question, then shoot a message through via Facebook to answer the question. And, of course, we've got tips from the best in Ziggy. So Chelsea headed out to see Leo at his home in Echuca. Now, Chelsea and Leo are pretty good friends. She's obviously skied behind his boats and a personal friend as well. I really hope you enjoy this interview because it is full of ups and downs and the life of Leo Welsh in ski racing.
2: Thank you, Leo. It's really good to have you in the driver's seat of On The Rope podcast and we're very privileged to have a competitor that's been in the sport for as long as you and has had a, a fair journey, to say the least, throughout the sport, but... Um, as a f- close family friend of your family, I know the passion that sits in the whole family within water ski racing, so I do feel privileged to have the opportunity to 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 run this interview today. Leo, this is as I said, this is your podcast, and I'm excited to hear your journey. And um, I guess to to start off, what I'd love to know is what was your first involvement, and how did you get started in the sport of water ski racing?
0: I first first started was a, I skied. I reckon I was about 14 in the. Southern 80, Dad had a little midmount and we lived in Rochy Dad had a pub and we always heard about Southern 80 and we just ended it one year, didn't train, didn't do anything, you know, it's just a little 40 mile an hour mount So that was my first ever go at it. Um, so I think we skied like two years in a row, but what really got me hooked on ski racing was Billy Simon's was going over to a there was a point score at Yarrawonga. And he he was going to be a boy boat over there and he said do you want to come over we sit in the middle of the course and i thought oh that sounds good i used to do a fair bit of social skiing so i went over there and there was an open men's race and Lester freeman was a young just a young strapping young bloke but he had this really really nice leg boat there and and there was a boat called thunder duck in its time it was a six cylinder boat but very very quick and these two blokes just went hammer and tong i can't remember the skiers but it just opened my eyes up and i was just awestruck how fast these blokes were racing you know the boats were side by side so i think i came home and and um phil woods said Do you want to come over to to um i reckon we went to burr or actually it was Cancurran, opening bendigo there was a point score on over there and i went in, in a social man i rated myself pretty highly as a social skier <laughs> and went out like a cut cat in the first bit and Oh, blew up like a big toad you know like <laughs> huffed and puffed and couldn't even stay in the wash I reckon I was that stuff but um that was that was my in- intro to it you know and from then on I always then I skied, skied probably for I don't know I probably skied a dozen southern 80s you know but never at a high level social I was pretty reasonable social I, Trevor Robinson and I did pretty well um field woods in eight liter and that sort of stuff but mm-hmm. yeah not a not a great skier but very passionate but yeah i love the observing and all the rest
2: mm. it's interesting isn't it i guess people set social skiing watch races like the southern 80 they think like oh, i'd love to have a go at that and it's not until you like you just said you put the ski on and you're in the conditions that you actually notice how physically and mentally tough the sport of water ski racing is
0: oh yeah, you've got no idea, and I, I say to people, even today, you know, and I still get inspired, especially out in the lake at a point score. Like in a river, clearly the conditions are different and the speeds are high, but in a lake, you get a good skier on the back of your boat, and especially when you're observing, you just, or even driving sometimes, you think, how are they staying up, these blokes, when you're driving? But when you're observing, you think, they're, they're super athletes. So, yeah, mm. it, it's inspiring just to watch.
2: It is, and that's the hard thing. Being an amateur sport, they probably don't get the recognition they deserve in regards to the preparation and what they put themselves through. So, you know what, Leo? I've We're, we're two minutes in and I've already learnt that you're not only a driver and observer, but you are also a skier, which is pretty cool. So,
0: <laughs> I probably rate myself higher as a driver and observer <laughs> than what I do as a skier, but, but <laughs> I think it, it's a good grounding. You know, if you've come from a skier, you, you've got a bit of feel for what the – it doesn't matter what even level you've skied at. I think you just got that feel for what the – the people out the back of, are doing and feeling and you know so you, you know what position to put them in and that obviously grows with experience
2: 100 mm, percent agree i mean as a skier myself i've always tried to have observers and drivers that have been behind the boat themselves i meant Donnie gully and apsy they're both been high quality you know skiers back in their day yeah. and so they know what you're going through and i think you're right it, it makes a really big difference and i guess that explains to me I mean i've had a, a a lot of racing behind the mistress myself too and it explains how you do know you know where to put the boat you know how hard you can pull a skier you've sort of been there and know what they're going through which yes. is which is really really good so we've touched off on a little bit of your social ski days and your and your speed ski days i know that you from a young age did hit the top of the sport reasonably quickly as a crew member in the observer's seat. Uh, You won your first Southern 80, Robin Bale and Mildura, back in 1989, a very long time ago now, um, as an observer in the famous well-known boat of Island Cooler with uh, the champion himself and a very close friend of yours, I know, uh, Dennis Rowbottom. And you went back in 1990 to take it out again and back to back in all three river races, pretty special back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s.
0: Yeah, though were they were great days. Um, Dennis and I were great mates, but he was a hell of a competitor, a fantastic driver, um, and it was a you know a well put together boat. Ted Hurley actually built that boat. So Dennis, he he bought his first ever engine off Lester Freeman. Also he he sourced good equipment from the day dot when he's decided to decided to get Island Cooler going. You know he he came basically from a mid mount. I skied behind him in a mid mount um that's how we got our friendship and then um then he said cool her up and and um had like chris chris jennings and lucas brown and a few of these young blokes were the, the cracking young skiers in the real early days and and um but then yeah when we come to the first southern 80 to have a real crack at it they were just great days that i remember the first time we ever went down the river in it we um and you didn't practice much like everyone said oh local knowledge there. Yeah. That crew's got so much advantage. Well, we weren't on the river anymore because the crews were all separated and in those days clearly the professionalism was a little bit different. So you basically met on the weekend of the weekend of the race and all shook hands and you knew you were all good at what you did, but there wasn't a hell of a lot of um, let's go and do four or five runs down the river. There was none of that. But we're at a point score at Waranga Basin and being Waranga Basin as it was blew up, bloody out of control, got point score got cancelled. Well, whole point score said oh well the 80s on a couple of weeks let's head to Trumbury well it was like a mini southern 80 four weeks prior and we all rocked out there and I'd never been I'd been in cool around the lake um when we're setting it up and I don't even think we had had a race in it we get out there we get to Trumbury and we had the boys on the back and so I'd never observed in it really and Dennis just slipped this thing up coming from (laughs) Trumbury in and it was the river, to me, looking at the back, this thing was just spray and wash out the side. And it was like a creek. It felt like a creek. I just thought, we're doing 100 miles an hour down a creek. It just felt <laughs>
2: that
0: that was my initial thing of it. But then, of course, we obviously then did, did some more work and we were fortunate enough. You know, we won our first 80. We had, you know, the legendary Mark Pickering on and, and um, Jamie, and, who was a young up-and-comer, and we always always thought he was going to, be you know a gun skier and he turned out certainly to be that and more but yeah it was fantastic to win a local boat um we did a pretty pretty good time in its day in its era took a couple of minutes off the record and it was just um you know very social those days too so we drank lots of beer afterwards like (laughs) you did and um just just very very social and ended up yeah we went on to Romba went on to Muldura and won races that like Rombo was pretty well a brand new race then. It was, you know, hadn't been around long at all, maybe only a couple of years. And um, but to win Mildura was special because we'd always gone to Mildura every Easter. Scott skied a lot of Milduras You'd camped on the riverbank basically at the ski club. You know, they were great days then and very social again. But the, the racing was was good fun. But yeah, to do it a couple of years in a row was was, was great. Obviously, Nankervis has prepared the boat and. Uh, you know they did a fantastic job of that it was just yeah in the end Dennis just threw everything and more at it and um basically ran out of funds that's you know he, his business sort of went they went in different directions and it was time to pull the pin but he was a fantastic driver really really aggressive driver took a fair bit of reining in you know so you had to be a strong observer which was a bit of a balancing act you know i was a young bloke looking at the back, and of course, you've got to get your skiers home. You don't win unless you get your skiers home, but you're trying to get them home safely, but the highest speed, and that's the juggle. But, mm. um, yeah, quite often, we'd be, he'd be shaking his fist at me, and, you know, I think there's some, there's a bit of famous footage in about 91 or something like that. We're having a few boat issues, and, and he actually pulled the kill switch waving at me because I, I was just trying to keep him off the willows. The boys were outside the wash in those days, and he was using all the river up, and i just give him a little you know, come, come this way. And he waved his fist at me, but pulled the kill switch. So, (laughs) so that, that wasn't good, but yeah. Um, and then he, he got ill and he got ill with a kidney, had a kidney issue and, and, um, was out of the sport for a fairly long time. And then, um, when I got the yellow mistress, um, he was just, I was just wrapped that got him back in the seat. He, you know, he hadn't been in the seat for a fairly long time and might've been a 10 year or more hiatus you know and he just come back and just grew a new lease of life it was like a sick bloke just reincarnated you know and mm. then got taken at a bloody workplace accident so mm. very sad but yeah they were really good days like the, the island cooler like certainly was good for the local area it was you know iconic boat some great racing in those days you know like that ski racing it's never been like it was then I don't believe you know the 80s and 90s were the the really really good times Mm. um pity we can't get back to that and I can't see why we can't get back to that but it's just uh that's the way it's all gone and and, um big part of our
2: life it is and you know what, I, I think you're right. It's funny how uh, you had some, ama- some outstanding and amazing competitors back in the day. And I mean, to, you've already named a few of them, and, including Michael Demink's and Thunder Nazi, Ted Hurley, Recoveries, Reflection and longstanding competitor, Lester Fremantle. But what I just listened to you say is that actually Ted Hurley built the boat and Lester Fremale, Fremantle exactly gave right. the engine. I yeah, mean, it's for, a community. The, for the listeners out there, that's sort of like, uh, you know, you give in pig's arsenal a boat and... Um, and greg houston giving them an engine or something oh. like it's all the competitors coming together at the top of the sport to yeah. make it happen and they wanted competitive people yeah. out on the water yeah. um, and i meant what you just said then is showing the the shift in the sport itself uh back then it was a community you all had each other's back you all helped each other out and i guess at the top of the sport the profession professionalism and money and everything that's gone in has changed which has changed that environment slightly as well. But to get back to those competitors, your your Leicester Fremantles, your, your Michael Dominguez, your Ted Hurleys, I know there was ridiculous amounts of rivalry back on the water in those days, Um, although you all had each other's back. Fill us in on that. Like, how did they all play out and, and, and what was it like? I mean, the banter on the water compared to the banter on the bank. Um, what was that relationship like back in the day? Well,
0: it was banter on the bank that – it was like a fist fight on the water. It was <laughs> it was really, really good, aggressive racing. No one ever stepped out, outside the line, but it was really gunnel to gunnel type of stuff, you know, you had to hold your nerve because one driver would be testing the other crew or whatever. But the skiers, you know, the skiers were great then as well. So it was just the just the I think it was the nature of the racing and then you gotta remember V S T C was racing and that, that turned into, that was a whole different sort of part of the racing because you started with a tight rope, running it out off the bank and away you went. So it was hell for leather from the word go. But, um, yeah, the you would race hard, really, really hard on the water, but then if you needed a part, you needed a hand, you needed something that everyone would help out. You know, you mentioned some great names there and they were all fantastic competitors, every one of them in their own right. What about you know, Mixer Canovich, you yeah, know, what true. did he bring to the sport? You know, like, you, you get these people that come in and guns are blazing and, and literally, and, and um, Graham, Ritchie, Graham Ritchie, you and know. Graham God's gift, yeah. Yeah, God's gift. It, it just um, it sort of evolves. These these drivers come and go, but they leave their own little mark on the sport and all of those blokes have um, in some way or another. Some have obviously been there longer than others and, and some have come and gone, but yeah the it was just i don't know you'd all park side by side like now nowadays that you know don't even seem to park together you know like it 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 was as if i'm not getting near parking near this bloke or whatever
2: segmented yeah
0: yeah whereas then it was just just everyone just set up together like the point scores at lake cooper were fantastic you know you could just rock from camp to camp and at the end of it everyone had a beer together
2: um up in the club rooms yeah,
0: yeah and oh they were just just great, great days. days, yeah. So, I mean, you yeah. never forget those. But the oh, and some of the Sydney drivers, there's great rivalry between Victoria and Sydney. So you know, your Frank Ward from Status and, and um, oh, hopeless with names. But some of those guys, they were fierce competitors. You know, which and we hated it. Like I, I think there was a bit of a hatred then. So then that's where your Woggers come in, and your Woggers were just such because that victoria New South Wales rivalry was fantastic. And then we used to shoot up and race Tukey a fair bit with Cooler. And that was probably some of the best racing I've ever been involved with, to be honest. Fierce Rivalry, the Vicks, while we were Vicks and were a bit hated, they certainly welcomed you because they liked the racing, you know. They they wanted the rivalry. They wanted the best of the best. They did. So, you know, you get up there and they put you to the outside of the field. That was always the way you started up there is if you got the L-plates on and whatever. (laughs) First couple of times we went up there and I think we opened a few eyes up. You know, we had Jamie on the back and, and Trav even, when Trave was flying in those days, Oliver as well, so we'd take the two Oliver boys up there and tow them up, you know, so yeah. it, was, it was just fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, I think that New South Wales-Victorian rivalry is still there, uh, but a, 100% back in the day you used to have your Wagov Vic New South Wales. You used to even have your state championships yeah. where they'd all play off and people would wear a New South Wales jersey and a, and a Victorian jersey. So... Yeah. It definitely it's definitely been a shift in the sport, but I'm I'm with you. Back in the uh, early 90s when I started out, I I vividly remember the really really cool cool days of Lake Cooper. Um, oh. and I mean growing up with your boys. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I remember even Ben and I used to hit it out on the on the track of uh, Lake Cooper and race side by side. So. The, I think that that environment was, was really special, and it would be good to see that, that sort of camaraderie come yeah. back in yeah. into the sport, which, which slowly is it, uh, sort of your lake charms and stuff, which yes. is good to see. Yes. So, look, I mean, I've always been a sp- skier in my career, but I did have the, well, I'm not sure if it was a privilege. It was probably a dangerous uh, experience of driving my parents' boat nipple <laughs> at, at a lake race, actually, uh, myself, And I was really shocked, to be honest, to know how much is going on in the boat. I sort of thought I was going to jump in, put the engine down and just drive it. But there was so much more to that. and It was a full girls crew, so we weren't very professional at all. But I would really love to know. I mean, you've been you've experienced driving and observing at the top of the sport for over 30 years now. So. I would love to know what goes on in your mind as a driver and observer. And it was just funny. I was talking to Maddie Boyer during the week and she said, you know, she's always thought that too. Like, what do these drivers think at 110 now, 120 mile an hour? What's going through your mind? How are you making decisions, even as a driver or observer? If you could just give us a little bit of an insight into that.
0: I think for sure that overwhelming, that happens to everyone from the word that go. You know, you get out to a point score, you think, my God, there's boats everywhere. This, But I it's the old word experience, the, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Well, you should be if you've got any now, that so is. <laughs> so it all tends to slow down because you, you, you know what's important and what's not important. Sometimes early you're concentrating on stuff that's got no relevance to you whatsoever. You're worrying about, you know, lines what other boats are doing or whatever that may be. So um, there's two. Obviously, the observing, the observing role, the most important time, well, Observer is important the whole time, but a point score, an observer, right, runs a point score as far as I'm concerned, you know. The driver, he obviously has got to pick his line and, and push as hard, but if you've got a good aggressive driver that, that can drive some good lines and, and, you know, not get yourself boxed in, well, the observer should be able to then set the race up, you know. He should be able to control the speed, control what the opposition's doing, you know, like even where you put your boat to you, – your, your role isn't to make – the opposition feel comfortable that's not your your role is to keep your make your skier have the best tow the best water that they can have put your boat in a comfortable position but if that means giving dirty water to the crew you're racing so be it that's that's part of the deal you know like you don't you're not out there to give them a free ride so i think you learn that on the way through and you learn how to the more you tow a ski you obviously learn what their traits are and how far you can push them but observing there's nothing better than bringing a young person through and seeing them develop. Um, and we've probably, even the last few years with, with the mistress, even we've had some, you could say pluck skiers, we've, we've put people on the back that people would, they don't even rate, they don't even give them the opportunity. And then we come out and lay some re- reasonable times in the Now, How did they do that? Well, that's development. You know, that's, that's us putting time into them. They've clearly got the talent. We're not, introducing talent to them but we're introducing techniques and and strategies and and ways of doing that so that's really rewarding um from a driving perspective it was really funny because i observed for so long like all the all the years you know um i really didn't drive until after Dennis had his accident and we had the boat sitting in the shed and we we thought we might just retire you know and and then the boy said well why don't you have a crack at driving and i said I've never even driven it in a warm up, you know. So
1: <laughs>
0: I lined up for my first hag with, with um, not a lot of driving experience under my belt, but I still knew how to race. You know, you don't forget, just because you're driving and observing, you know what needs to happen. You just got to be able to steer the boat and, and put it in the right spots and all the rest of it, which you clearly learn the more you do it. But it's very easy to want to race. Like you become, when you get driver and you've got the, especially when you've got the horsepower under you you get racy like you, which is good in a way because a driver that's not racy it's very hard to speed them up and they'll never win a raffle, you know. If yeah. a if a driver's got no aggression, doesn't matter who he's got on the back or who he's got in the boat, he will not win a raffle. But if you've got a good aggressive driver and a and an observer that can control that, um, then you've got the makings of a good crew, you know? Mm. Any of these guys that win these races, they're all aggressive sort of blokes you know like when when they're 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 racy and they need to be to to race the top end yeah but it's that balance of how racy you've got to be as a you know so that's what the that's where a good crew comes in but um i think having done a little bit of skiing observed for a lot of years for a lot of different and and bringing kids through you learn a lot just by i think you probably learn more in junior development you know the crew learns more in junior development. There's not just the skier developing; it's the crews developing their race technique mm. and tactics. So, it's all that's all very important and, and really good for the sport. But I think then driving, and now I'm back observing. Well, I think I observe. I reckon I'm, I'm a 15% better observer now than what I was before I drove because I know now what the driver wants and feels and needs. Like sometimes the driver needs to be after push through a certain thing just to get you into that position whereas before you'd be going no no What's it's just doing? racing yeah. yeah so it it just and i can even tell if the boat's in the wrong position now you can just it, it's all slows down we're gonna be doing 120 up the river but to me that probably feels like 60 mile an hour to be honest you know it's like, just
2: so familiar with the so speed. familiar,
0: it doesn't stress you whatsoever the boat might have a hiccup and you don't know, go you don't know, sort of panic and what the hell is mm. that it just it's just part of that part of the deal um it, it's it's it funny you say
2: that because i speak to the you know the likes of daniel Graziano and daniel cotton who are consistently pulling one eighteen one twenty 120 mile an hour and i say mm. to them you know, you, you've done this for three, four, five seasons now, and they say that they say, look, Chelsea, the more you do something, the more familiar you become with it. Yeah, and more the easier it becomes, that's the more right. comfortable you are, yeah. and therefore that's their normal now. That's right. Um, and and it's true, and that takes time, and I think it's it's good for the listeners and the newer people in the sport to realize that, like the mistress team and the and the and the Welsh family and the the Leo Welshes of the sport didn't happen overnight. No, you've just explained to us that you've done the skiing position, you've done the observing position, you've stepped into the drive position yeah. and a combination of all three yeah. have made you guys who you are that yeah. can do that and I mean I was privileged enough to ski behind you in open well there was no open women so we're in an unlimited at the BHAG one year and I remember Maddie and I uh we actually did a one minute 20 quicker time than what we'd ever done yeah. but it felt easier than what we'd ever had right. and and then and it was really looking back I was like how did we do that and and I remember chatting to you going god we've done a good time but it didn't feel any different, and you—it's the one percenters. It's that—it's that you driving harder into a corner when we're still on a straight, it's that uh, and controlling it. Yeah,
0: that consistency, that momentum, that that knowing where you can carry the speed and where you can't, mm. and it was actually very enjoyable. tying you girls,
2: towing some girls, bit yeah. of fun. Oh, <laughs> yeah, just,
0: yeah, inbuilt speed limit. I don't know how you <laughs> have it, 100 mile an hour. You'd ski 100 mile an hour every day of the week, <laughs> and I'd try and get 101 or two, and I'd get it down. I think, How do they know that? You know, yeah. like- I felt like putting more bigger earplugs in you or something. It's, I don't know if it was a wind control or what, but you yeah. girls knew.
2: It's funny because over the you knew
0: exactly the speed yep. we were doing. Yeah,
2: and that's and that's that progression I think too, because if you talk to Trent Sauer, he used to call it the 111. So we got well, to 111. Yeah, and then when you talk to um, you know, Pickford, he called it the 112, 113. Yeah. We we slowly progressed over the years, but yeah. we had a cap and we both knew it. So Absolutely. Trent yeah. reckons that Maddie or Appsie used to say we'd wave down the exact same time every time we got to 111. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. so it's that it's getting familiar now leo i know that you have been uh you've had some crazy moments in water skiing one that i witnessed as a driver at Wagga Wagga, where um something like i'd never seen before but you've since told me at the start of the interview you've had a few occasions like this i remember vividly standing on the banks lake albert in the, in the barry khan race when you are. Uh, somewhat looked like a rocket as you launched out of the water i think was it a rudder or something that broke and and you literally flipped and barrel rolled your boat and some footage came up recently on on social media and just one of the most scariest things i've ever seen in water ski racing and fill us in on some of those moments i mean you've been in the sport that long you said it's it's bound to happen but i mean what does it feel like upside down in a boat not knowing where you're going to end up
0: oh they happen same thing um those things happen quickly the initial thing happens quickly but then everything's slow motion even that barrel roll was like slow motion what what happened again in that oh i'm i'm not sure whether the boat high sided or whether something in the steering let go but it just it just lost steering so whether that's the rudder like everything was so smashed you couldn't tell what went on so a bit hard we were pushing extremely hard zach had um qualified really well that weekend he loved Wagga, so he skied really hard at Wagga. I think we might have ran second in the in the carn and he was a bit disappointed, you know, he wanted to do better, and we were going to win unlimited no matter what. He said, we're winning this race, you know. So we were pushing, and maybe I pushed too hard and high-sided. It's hard to know, really hard to know, but it happened quickly. And and all I remember was backflipping across. I, I clearly remember the helmet strap was pulled. Every backflip was like one to pull. And I was thinking, it's going to break my neck it's going to break my neck and that happened about 12 times as I was back flipping but a slow motion and I was pretty happy to surface and look around and Brad Johnno was observing at the time and he was a mile back and oh, the boat was there was stuff everywhere but at the end of the day I was just glad we both walked away from it I was pretty mm. knocked around I had a really bad concussion from that that I didn't sort of I was crooked for six weeks after that race mm. like, I was laying on the floor here at home if I got up to walk I'd be cranking left I couldn't walk in a straight line so mm. it certainly knocks you around but oh we had in cooler. I remember at Yarrawonga we in a point score we are hooking along and I saw this shiny thing go up in the air and I thought oh what's that and then I realized it was a rudder flying up in the air and Dennis just slowed down really slowly and luckily enough the boat um, just slowed down in a straight line which we're very very thankful for but exactly the same thing happened we're in bad habits in the, South, in the southern eighty. And same thing, I saw this shiny thing and I knew what that was and we're coming off a corner. Next thing, Dennis grabbed my seat and I thought, this isn't going to be good. So I just slid down in the boat and hung on with everything I could and we went launching up the bank and we ended up parking sideways on a tree. The boat was laying on a real big angle, but the fuel was flowing out at the bloody tanks. And oh, oh, gosh. I, was, I was pretty happy to get out of that yeah. um, so lightly. In the end, that boat got pushed, pushed back in, floated, got put back on the trailer. Where the racecraft, the bat, um, that was a pretty nasty incident there, at, um, just down from the junction at Dead man's There we came around. Um, Link was driving at the time and had some sort of steering thing happen. And I knew once once you lift the throttle in a racecraft, you lose your steering basically. And anyway, I knew early we were we weren't going around that corner. We we're going up the bank. So I was turning around. There was people sitting in deck chairs everywhere. I was basically shooting like flies, get, get out in, of the road, we're coming your way. The way. And yeah, i tell you what, that was pretty nasty that we ended up launching mm-hmm. over a boat ramp. So
2: mm. look,
0: we've been in lots of things over the time. Um, I remember an island cooler at the Bill McLaughlin with Jamie on in the first lap. We were full stick, like we were really going hard, full of fuel. And In the Ebbinghams, you had the fuel tanks down both sides. You used to see the fuel belly in and out, like they still see-through tanks. Mm. Anyway, the engine dropped the rod and had a massive oil fire. And when I saw it explode, oh, and we were doing, God knows, 110 or something mile, mile an hour, no race suits in those days, you know, bluey singlet and shorts, stubby shorts. And uh, I hit Dennis on the on the arm and said, "It's on!" I pointed the engine. It's on fire. See you later. And I just did it back to the bow of the boat, oh. which in hindsight wasn't the most intelligent thing to do, but because you certainly hit the water pretty hard, but Ended up when I came up and looked up, he's standing up in the boat with the fire extinguisher. Anyway, I'm not sure if he put put it out or the oil burnt out. Yeah. Jamie was back a mile; it had burnt the rope off. The, it was that fierce; it burnt the rope off the thing. So when I got back in his in the boat, oh, back to the boat, we all met up on the bank. Dennis's back of his shoulders were all blistered because it was so what the, the Back of the seats were all blistered, to vinyl and all the no, rest
2: of it. No, no, uh, no race suits No, back nothing. Then. No, <laughs> no, no,
0: nothing. And, and um, anyway, all he was spewing about was I'd had his wristwatch on me uh, On your and it'd come off. yeah, and it'd come off. Well, he ragged me the whole way home. Bloody wristwatch, you know. And, <laughs> and then um, when I got back to Lake Coop, I'd backed into the Curvis Brothers down there, or family. Um, they were fixing the boat. That two weekends later, went down to test it and. I was going to get, I was getting in the boat and everyone's grinning at me with the Cheshire cat, you know, what, what are all these blokes grinning at? Anyway, they put this big yellow piece of tape down me, like coward tape down the back of me jacket. Um, which I didn't know. And as I'm putting it on, they're all smiling at coward tape, you know, for, for jumping out. And I thought, well, my, coward job, tape. I thought my job as an observer is to tell the driver what's going on. Yeah. I told him and said, see you later. Yeah. I thought it was all right.
2: <laughs> you bailed, but you told him before you bailed. Yeah, I did my job. Yeah. So that's okay. Look, I mean, over the, over the 25 years of skiing myself, I know what the preparation is and how much time and effort goes into it for all competitors. Um, but I'd love you to talk us through... Uh, I guess the month or even the week, a, a little snapshot of what the week or the month of before the Southern 80 looks like for, for Team Mistress and the professionalism you put into that.
0: Yeah, well, I wish it was a week or a month, Chelsea. Yeah, well, it's it, probably it, six it's a, months. Yeah, it is. A, <laughs> like for us, the Southern 80 is, is the race we want to race and we want to win. So we, we put everything into that because we're limited in our budget. But the boat, as, a, as from a boat perspective, the boats are work in progress, or like they just work the whole time is ongoing progression of trying to find some improvement and that might be reliability or in handling or in there's always something that you're fine tuning we we never stop the boats in the shed now in bits you know get there's a few bits we're doing to it then you always there's always maintenance so that part of it is is but I don't see that as a chore. I, that's my enjoyment, it's getting your hobby. out your shed. That's
2: your mistress. Yeah, well, that's, how, <laughs> that's, that's
0: where the name came from. So I just love, you know, turn the an early Sunday morning, you know, listen to Mac on the radio. People probably think you'd be nuts, but it's just get out there and you can just veg out, tinker on your boat, not a worry in the world, you know, so that, I've done that for years. So but the, the lead up, obviously you've got to get your crew together and you've got to nowadays professionalism, you know, Mark Cranny certainly
2: raised the bar. Raised the bar, mm. which
0: good on him, you know, so so be it. But he, he left it to a level that for now your crew have got to be every part of your crew has to be, you know, super fit. Your skiers have to be super fit, they've got to be really switched on. You need to put your miles into your skiers, you know, like they they need to be have time on the water, either you giving it to them or they need to have it done somewhere. Mm. Um you need to be I think you've got to have a camaraderie between your team is a very good thing and it's nothing like a banner so the you earlier know, you get you know a, a group text going so we get a group text going and it's always a bit of banter or a bit of what's going on so just I think that's really important because um, mm. you've got to have trust and you've got to you know everyone's got to know they're serious about what they're doing so they mm. know what their job is so we always the skiers, the skiers know how we're going to approach it, so we, we try and get out, and people think we live on the water. I wish we could, but we only probably have four to six runs in the big boat pre-80. Yeah, lots of outboard runs. I'm not saying mm. we're not out there with the outboard, mm. but we just haven't got the budget. And to we
2: continually just, run yeah, the big boat. Yeah,
0: continually run the big boat. It's just mm. not there. If we did have, we do 30 runs down there, mm. you know. Mm. But So it's, it's just the, the, the team preparation, the team knowing what they're doing zach and i are planning all the time for improvement of how you approach the race So Mm -hmm. we've had to approach the race since the speed cap was brought in and then you know we're thrown back into unlimited well you know we've been racing with our shoelaces tied together so to speak so Mm -hmm. we've had to how can we find time and down this course at that speed you know so it's not we haven't had the luxury of just giving it all we've got. Pushing right. hard on the no, top end. you can't.
2: You no, no we of... just haven't
0: had that. So so um, the, the preparation just doesn't stop. Um, mm. And the dry and server need to be half fit. You mm. can't be just big slobs and just go out there because you blow up. I, I remember driving the boat being physically, um, I had a bit of a power steering issue and the boat was pretty heavy. And I remember about the 25-minute mark thinking, Jesus, am I going to get this thing home? And then you had to tell yourself, relax concentrate on the bloody job you know get your yeah. breathing in order, order. and then and, 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 I, driver, and yeah. that's exactly like the ski is. you know you know as a skier mm. you get to that 20 22 minute mark you've
2: got a brief you hit wheels yeah. or
0: whatever and you think i'm you know i've got so far to home oh my legs are buggered or my back's bugged mm. you've got to mentally tell yourself
2: mentally
0: you need to have done the work prior mm. so you can mentally tell yourself mm. That little bloke on your shoulder telling you your stuff, no, nah, piss off. I've done the work. Mm. I'm right to go. So.
2: So I take out of that four four words and that you know trust, commitment, preparation, and and com- camaraderie. Absolutely. You know they're the four things that I've taken out of what you just said, which are very important. And I think those four things are they what make a team. Yeah. Um, finishing the top three outright, which you which you guys have over over the years and. You know, tell us a little bit about those victories over the recent years. I mean, yep. I know it's pretty special. You're you're a family a family team, and that and yep. I love that about the Mistress and the Welsh family. I mean, all three of your sons have raced. Yeah. All three of your sons have been extremely good water skiers, and and now Zach obviously post his injury jumped in the boat with yep. you. So it's a father son setup, and um and you do run a professional show. There's no doubt about that. Tell us about your more recent victories with Zach in the boat with you. Oh
0: well, probably the the best one clearly is is. The BHAG, winning the BHAG with Zach Zach driving from Unlimited, drawn eight, you know, like no one expected us to do anything really. Starting off Um,
2: position eight and finishing position um, one.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But to be be fair to Zach, Zach's grown up with water skiing in his blood, you know. Um, he He knows as much about water skiing as anyone else in Australia. There's no doubt about that and probably more than some. So only because he lives and breathes it. So... He's he's brought another professionalism to the team from the crew. Like, he was fantastic from a skier's perspective. He'd planned and strategised and all the rest of it. But from a driver's perspective, he's just brought that to a, another whole new level. And that's probably re-energised myself, mm. you know, because I famously retired a couple of years ago, which
2: yeah.
0: which I was going to retire. There's no doubt about that. But we probably didn't get the – if we had got the victory, I 100% would have retired. Um, but then, with Zach driving and paying some of the bills, that certainly helps. So mm. it it just yeah, I'm just re-energized with the whole whole thing to be tell you the truth, and, yeah. and love it. It's um, a
2: bit of a father-son duo now. Yeah, it's which...
0: a father-son duo. And look, we're not the most gelled crew. We're both aggressive sort of blokes. Um,
2: <laughs> oh really?
0: So, yeah. So so some of the uh, um some of the uh uh, board, uh audio wouldn't be the best to hear you know because mm. we, we're quite aggressive but we get the job done you know we' we're, we're aggressive where we need to be you know, whether it's him pushing me me pushing him me controlling him whatever it may be because yep. it happens you know and he's he's learning this like I spoke earlier in the cast about all that power you just want to go you just gotta see so that's me then the being coaching, in, being and, there, training coaching and training yeah. him and Remember when you used to ski, yeah. would, you, would you like that? Would you? You know, yeah, So all, all of those things. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's really good. But um,
2: I love that. Remember when you used to ski, did you like that? Every driver needs to hear that. Yeah, yeah well,
0: it's sort of that's how it is. But yeah. no, um, he's doing a great job with it and, and very, very, very accomplished driver. Yeah, mm. he
2: and he is. And, again, I think it brings in that skier's Brain into the driver seat, so it's it's a pretty important part of it. I mean, he knows he does know what it's like. He needs aggression because you need that to be successful, yep. as you mentioned. But he definitely does know, um, you know, what it's like behind the boat, and that would help with his decisions as a driver, no, no doubt. And now the latest and hottest tips from one of the world's best in all things ski racing. It's over to Jason Walmsley, aka Ziggy.
0: We uh, we watched you for many years. Come back after each off-season, as strong as you were heading into it. It's a um, it's a pretty hard thing to upkeep during the off-season. Plenty of distractions, et cetera. But you went season in, season out, keeping yourself conditioned. Uh, How would you do that?
1: Uh, I made sure I always had a rest. It's pretty easy to do. So after Mildura each year, um, that's pretty much it on the calendar. And, you know, the weather starts to get pretty cold. Typically, I'd, I'd like to stay off the water uh, for the winter months. Um, but I only limited my rest maybe to a couple of weeks. I was always mindful that any longer than that, I'd lose strength and conditioning significantly. Um, So mostly stayed off the water in winter. I mean, you know, let's face it, no one wants to ski in winter. It's too cold. But, you know, give yourself a couple of weeks rest. um, Get over some some injuries. It's a good time to, you know, clean up any niggly injuries, back injuries, knee injuries. um, Get some little locks if you need be. Use the off-season to, you know, completely heal before you, you take on more training.
2: Now, you are one man who's, who has, I guess, experienced the extreme highs of water ski racing, winning outright races over the, your journey. Um, but unfortunately, you've also experienced some pretty big lows in this sport, um, you know, from from multiple outright wins down to, um, I guess, an incredible emotion and endless pain in the loss of, of a great guy and what I would classify as extremely good friend of mine in your, your son, Jai. And, um, you know, I think it'd be remiss of us not to touch on this and not to mention the extreme lows that you have unfortunately experienced in this sport. And your son was an amazing man unfortunately he was uh his life was taken far too early in an incident that happened at robin vale i remember not only um you know my heart stopping but the whole water ski racing community's heart stopping in 2015 when that accident happened and just a literally a tragedy uh, with hitting a log which you know which could have one centimeter either way and could have been avoided and you know how how did that affect you, yourself and your, your lovely lovely wife Jackie, who has supported you through this whole journey, and and what did that tragedy do to the you know to the Welsh family and your ski racing decisions?
0: Oh, it's gut wrenching, no doubt about that. Um, yeah, very. I'm not very good at talking about it, but mm. I'm getting better. Um, the the more you talk about it, the better you get. So without turning into a blubbering
2: mess. Yeah.
0: It um it was tough.
2: Mm. It was it was tough for everyone, but I can imagine for you guys, yeah.
0: Mhm. I'd like to talk more about it. You know, fantastic bloke, but I just can't.
2: Yeah. He. If if we talk a little bit more about Jai, I guess as a person, he was a he was a is big part of the family, wasn't he? Because he's a bit different to the other boys. He had a heart of gold, um, <clears throat> and I guess in your family, he bought that. Camaraderie in and yeah, and he, he from an outsider looking in when we we're growing up to me, Jai was sort of the mediator. Zach was a little, um, you know, chihuahua shit yeah. stirrer, still yeah. sort of is, isn't he? <laughs> but um, you know, Jai came, he seemed to be, and and Ben, Ben sort of has always been the cruiser. So from looking out, outside in, and yeah. and Jai was that big heart, wasn't he? Just sort of bringing brought, brought that into the Welsh family. Yeah,
0: was a, a passive sort of bloke, but passive aggressive, you know, um, fantastic sportsman. He was one of those. I'll call him freaks. One of those freaks that could be good at anything that he tried his hand on. If you said bounce that ball onto that table into that cup, he'd nail that first time. Yeah. He, he was just any sport that he that he it was. He tried his hand at. He was very very good. Not the best trainer in the world. That's he and I. That's where we didn't didn't see eye to eye. Didn't want to do the
2: hard yards in the background. Yeah.
0: Um. But that could have come. To be fair to him. Um him being our first son, you want your first child to be perfect. We were young parents, you know, very, very young parents, probably too hard on him as a real, real little fella, you know, just because you want that perfect, I don't know, it's just how I was brought up pretty strict and so Jai was brought up pretty strict and then as the other boys got older or as the other boys come along and you learn we don't need to be strict in those areas, so Mm. certainly learned from that but he was like a little athlete he he was he was club champion little at the athletics when he was seven you know he Mm. he was um
2: bit of a natural
0: yeah he he single water ski when he was five he was just just good at anything he put his hand to so then um as he was coming through he was very very good junior and then the speed started to get higher and he started to get a bit nervous about his skiing. So I just, in the end, Ben was skiing as well. Ben was a very good skier and, and um, we sort of had a We just, because they were both getting a bit nervous, you know, heading out for point score and oh, I feel a bit sick in the belly and I was saying, well, you don't have to be doing this stuff. If They wanted to do it, but then they were feeling nervous and a bit, yeah, bit anxious about normal. it, which is, which is, is normal. normal. So yeah. in the end... We pulled out of the sport for a bit we i said oh we'll buy some go-karts let's go go-kart race and i thought we'll just get right away from this but could never get joy away from it you know yeah, like was... it was funny he loved the go-karts and all the rest of it then he loved the, the skiing so then that's when when he came back he was then a lot more relaxed skier you know relaxed person around the sport and he he just had such a huge group of mates and mm. and because He was just a social butterfly, you know,
2: and so fun to be around. Yeah, yeah, loved it,
0: loved the party, and loved all of that sort of stuff. So, he he just had a, a huge following. And then it was really Jai that got while well, Zach just started when we were still up and running, and then we stopped. Jai really, then when Jai kept going to the ski races, Zach started following his only a little whippersnapper still. And then he was he started to ski behind these. I think it might have been 60 mile an hour or some class started, or a mid mount class or something. And then every boat he skied behind blew up, you know. Like, and he come home, I said, How are you going? Oh, it blew up. How'd you go? It blew up. So, in the end, (laughs) that's when I then sort of bought an outboard and said, Let's get get a family boat going. Yeah, some
2: reliability and some fun. Yeah,
0: but going back to Jai, he he was probably the jowl in the family. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he was definitely, yeah. I mean he's um he's one that's extremely remembered and especially for his famous Southern eighty Southern eighty run as well. So he, oh, he yeah. won uh behind stalker oh, that Grosy. year. Behind Grosy, Grosy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they won
0: unlimited that won, year, didn't they? Won unlimited, And you should have seen him out here. He was he a barbecue out here that night and he was just singing away and yeah, yeah he pretty he good
2: time it. I must say oh, as well. So great,
0: great time and yeah. Um he's left a great legacy. His daughter, Harper, she's just a jet. Um have his grandkids, love love them all to death. She stays with us every Wednesday night.
2: That's special.
0: So yeah, it's great.
2: And she's a little bit of a mini dad too, isn't she? Absolutely. So you she's, guys would love watching that.
0: She's just a a micro of him. She, yeah. She's um she, she's another one of these can whatever she tries, she's good at, you know. So um but she's a female by the other token, so she's has <laughs> got that, that different instinct which I never had. See, we had all girl, we had all, boys, all boys. So, so now I've got three granddaughters, so I'm certainly learning a bit. Bit of female Welsh yeah, blood. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a bit, getting a bit back. So,
2: <laughs> that's um, that's that's good. But yeah, it is it is cute to have um have a, a little mini jai to remember yeah, and, and enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And, so
0: she we talk about him all the time. So. Yeah,
2: which is yeah, special and is. extremely important. I think he's well remembered in the sport of water ski racing and will be forever as well, yeah. which is which is we can all hold that close to our hearts and and remember what an amazing person he was. Leo, I'm sorry to put you through that bit but we would not want to leave that out. It's very no, special, joy, very special mem- memory joy and joys,
0: you know, more a part of this than anything else. So.
2: Exactly. And he was a big driver in in the family, in the family team which is which is something that we're, why we're here to talk today as we sit in the mistress and the Welsh headquarters here. It's very impressive, I I uh, wouldn't mind having a backyard like this to party in after a southern 80 win. That's for it's sure.
0: Certainly pretty, pretty comfortable. I was always said to the boys, "We win the 80, we're going to put the boat in the pool."
2: <laughs> the we
0: won it, they said, "Where's the crane?" I said, "Oh no, I'll, I'll drop it on the roof."
2: You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit soft. <laughs> it didn't come through
2: with the goods. No,
0: bloody. Maybe pay for that
2: too. (laughs) Now, to finish off, I just want to get your opinion, to be honest. I know you're really passionate about water ski racing, as I am, and we're both fairly opinionated individuals, which I think is important when you really are passionate about something to share your thoughts and views on how you can make it better. If I was to, um, to give you the option to take, I guess, take the reins for 12 months in the sport of water ski racing and, it's good to have someone who's got over thirty years of experience to, to give their opinion in this sort of space. What what is it that you would change? You know ski racing of the old, you're in ski racing of the new at the top of the sport. If you had, you know, if you had twelve months to make some changes, what would be a few of those changes that you would probably make?
0: Well, I reckon it's just it it's screaming for change, there's no doubt about that, because it's only in a decline and has been for the last ten years. Um, and a lot of that's I think come from people jumping at shadows to be truthful but mm-hmm. i'll push for and i will push for it i was um like we've got these speed classes that are in now you know like which i think are fantastic and we've got the kids within some controlled speeds but i just think throw every class out the door and just have 60 70 to 10 10 mile an hour increments all the way up to 120 mile an hour so what's that seven classes or whatever it may be that's all you've got there's no discrimination between male and female and it doesn't need to be because you're racing a speed class. You're not racing, a, you know, a, a open women's and this might go totally against you, Chelsea, but I'm sure if you were racing 110 mile an hour class, for instance, you might want to pitch yourself in a 120, but if you race a 110 and you cleaned up all those crews, you go, how hey, what's this, you know? So what I think that would do would be like, I read Facebook a fair bit I was on it and got in the strife, so I'm off it and i I'm staying off it. <laughs> it's just a joke. It's just,
2: there's
0: just too many flogs too out much. there. But, but well there is. But just to be truthful, I think the, the people screaming out, Oh this what about a V drive class? What about the all the old smock boats in the sheds? What about the mid mounts? What about
2: yeah. well, Speed Cap would fix that. Bring they them can out. Go in. It yeah. would bring them out.
0: It would if you're only gonna I reckon the sixty and 70 mile an hour class is fantastic. I drove Psycho Clown seventy mile an hour about five years ago at that Mildura. I'm not sure. They just need to drive. And I said, yeah, I'll drive it. Without doubt, it was in my top 10 races that I've ever done. And mm. you know, I've been racing a long time. Mm. It was one of the very most. Very in-
2: technical, you would say? And-
0: Absolutely. Te- yeah. Technical and enjoyable. It was probably because my brother started 30 seconds in front. Yeah. Really made him... And I, I did happen <laughs> a bit of camaraderie
2: there between I, you and the brother. I did, ha- <laughs> did
0: happen to catch him, so then we had some fun on course.
2: So, but- shout out to Terry, was it? Yeah, it was. Shout Terry. out to Terry yeah. that your, your brother wanted to yeah. beat you. Yeah, it was a very,
0: very, very big. But great fun and super technical. And these people that say, you know, oh, you driver looking at speedos. Well, that's part of your experience. That's why you start in sixty mile an hour, and seventy mile an hour. You're not looking at the bloody speedo. Even they, you know, they bought in in superclasses two and a half percent thing because why can the drivers? you can't be looking at speedos. Well, you're not, you're not glued to your speedo. speedo you yeah, know the straights that you just need to, to you monitor. Know the str- yeah, that's you right. Know. The straights but, where
2: you could potentially ab- hit one twenty.
0: Absolutely. So yeah. it's just people just just manipulate things to suit themselves. But that, that I would do that straight away. I would get rid of the insurance. I wouldn't get rid of the insurance. I would get rid of the boat part of the insurance. Why Why we're covering everyone's race boats. You know, if you've got a race boat, you're taking it to the meeting, you shouldn't be, I don't think, be, be expecting to have the cover from the Ski Race Australia. You know, have your own bloody cover. Because mm. um, why should every skier and that be paying for Someone's boat if it sinks. Mm-hmm. I just, I just think that's a huge cost to the sport and needs lowering. I think get back to your rule book. Like we've got a rule book, race to the rule book.
2: Yeah, hard and fast on the. They race. are not.
0: Yeah. We've had a rubber rule book for the last ten years, but mm-hmm. five years in particular, the rule book's been torn to shreds mm-hmm. by people in the top end of the sport with the money, pulling and pushing and and moving, and it's just been a joke. It's mm-hmm. been like i think to have two superclass boats in the southern 80 start the southern 80 start at the last two years mm. is an indictment on the sport and that's it that's that has come all of that manipulation has come through poor management at the top end of the sport.
2: Mm. So, I mean, I know that we've done a lot, we're currently in a lot of work of a rebuild phase of ski race in Australia and hats off to them for doing that. And I think that's a really good uh, direction shift in a way, having a, a board that has competitors and also non-competitors on the board and skills-based board, which I think will be a huge shift for our sport, having skills-based people on the board making decisions, remove the politics and actually run the sport. Um, what's your your views on that skills-based board? Do you, like, you think that's going to be a good idea? I mean, we've still got competitors that yeah. sit on
0: there. Um, I always put it back to I'll, – I'll, I'll put it like this. I was president of a football club and when I was president of the football club, I ran that club with a passion and like a business, treat it like a business, so it's got to be business based but it's got to be run like a passion. You have a look at the Moen Water Sports Club and the Mildura Water Ski Club, the two strongest and well-run clubs in Australia, bar none, and why are they so strong and why? Because the people at the top run them with passion, Mm. they're not paid. Mm. So,
2: But they're also businessmen, a lot of the people on the board. Absolutely, yeah. they're businessmen. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying you've yeah. got
0: to have – so I think, yes, some bringing in some professional people that bring, you know, some accounting, accounting credibility and they're, but, yeah. they're, all of these management skills is fine, but you've got to have the a passion. passion for the sport. And I think you could almost mark the day we the day we started to pay an administrator – you can almost start to watch the decline of the sport. Mm. Now, I reckon we've had six or seven paid administrators. I don't know what they would be. In my view, there's probably only been one decent one. You know, mm. the rest of them—they mightn't like me saying this, but I think they're there really for the really for the their pay pack more than their or to build their to build their profile build for their a profile career. In. Oh, I was CEO of 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 this this sport. Of this sport and now I want to go on to this sport and then, but if they haven't come from the sport, they've got no passion for it. Yeah. And that's why, that's why the point scores were so well run. You know, your, your Franny Hines and your, your Jan Thurgers and you know people people
2: that might say, live and breathe the sport. Yeah, because it, they them.
0: judged it to the rule book. They were passionate for it. The people that ran it were passionate. So I just think that's we've got to tap back into that. So. Get numbers back into the sport by having classes that are fair and equitable, run and stick to that rule book no mm. matter what, whether it's mm. right or wrong, stick to the rule book and then change it at the end of the year if it's not right. If the rule book's got an anomaly in, if it's got a clear anomaly, change it.
2: Change it, but yeah. But don't,
0: don't move the goalposts to... To suit the whims of the the ones with the big checkbooks, you know, yeah. or the ones that set
2: just, the rules and uh, be done with it.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. We appreciate your feedback, Leo, and I think it's all very good, very good points, and getting back to the Open Women's. We always race the boys anyway as you Absolutely. knew we were in the top 40 dash and we uh, to be honest we always were racing the boys so yeah. 110 mile an hour class I wouldn't mind have done that back in the day and uh, knocked a few of the boys off the podium that's for sure so all very good viewpoints and hopefully whoever's listening to this from the governing bodies will take those on board and and make some change thank you Leo it's been an amazing journey I've loved our time together today I want to now pass over to you um, as you know true supporter of the Welsh family and always have and, and have raced with you guys sort of understand your passion and how much you do love the sport and your little mistress that like you said the name came out of the back that you are probably spend as much time with the mistress in the shed as you do with your wife Jackie uh, in the house so pretty special but look pass over to you just to thank anyone I know the Nankervis family have been a big part of your journey too so I just want to give you you know a minute or two to thank everyone that you'd like to uh, touch off on on, on the last 30 odd years of racing
0: yeah thanks Charles oh uh, look starting with the Nankervis family um, my dad bought a social boat off them in 1972, a little mid-mountain. That's what I first skied behind. So certainly been a long, long association with these guys. Island Cooler was a massive thing, but, you know, I've, I've had my boats there for a long period now. Um, they're more family than they are, you know, um, a business associate or whatever you want to call. They, they look after us really, really well. They're just second to none in my view. Everyone will back their mechanic, but these guys care and, get back to that passionate they're passionate about what they do so I love the Curvis family we've had lots of good sponsors over the years but Peter Wickett is was at MTQ and um, now GCG Turbos he's looked after us for the last 10 years and and you know without him we certainly wouldn't be on board Ned's Whiskey has come on board last season and they've been fantastic support and um you know they've obviously been knocked around with this uh, virus as in a lot of other businesses but they'll bounce back and, and um moving forward we're really going to have a good association with them and, and um feel confident that we can race at the highest level oh just all the drivers there's been so many drivers aboard the boys through i couldn't afford a boat early days so when it when my boys come through you you barry groves and you Dick Minchins and ray hamilton's and oh you just go on and on you know yeah. i could Stewie Thomas, uh, Stewie Dixon, Stewie sorry, Dixon, Stewie yeah. Silvon, you know, all these blokes. Um, towed
2: your children for you. Just towed them, mm. yeah.
0: Probably one of the great victories was with Phil Mulcahy, or John and Ben skied in subbies at, at Robinvale. Um, Ben was still a taddy, he skied tatties, and then jumped onto the subbies, and the boys won subbies, and Phil and I still pat each other on the back. That was, <laughs> that was just a great... Phil
2: loved towing the kids. <laughs> oh, I, think, I
0: think it was a bit of fun on course. A hoodie, hoodie blew off the... Out of the back of his seat and wrapped around his steering or something on the oh, way. Gosh. So I was trying to dismantle that on the way through. So look, all these guys that have put time into the boys have been fantastic into the family, but I've got to thank Jackie. You know, like I
2: was a, about to say, now wife, that I'm a wife, nah, don't leave the wife nah, out. <laughs> how, how could you not
0: thank a wife that's let let you do? You know, um, unimpeded too. You know, she just backs us all the way. So mm. you know, she could have pulled the handbrakes on a few times, no doubt about that. Because I've probably spent way more than I ever should have but you know we've had a great ride and we're still having a great ride and look forward to continuing that on um just can't wait to get back we want to race at the top level so back to the top level and where we think we deserve so that's where Mm. that's where we're aiming for so look thanks and thanks for the interview Charles I'm glad you did it because you've certainly been a big part of our family and known you since you were a little whippersnapper and yeah. you've certainly grown.
2: And I've little... raced the boys since we were a
0: little oh, whippersnapper. Yeah, yeah, like you said, those late, late Cooper days were yeah, great days, you were. know, so uh, Tasman Challenges, you know, we didn't really touch on that, but they're a great part, great. You know, I was the team captain for four or five years a after Terry Bennett. The
2: Victorian team. Yeah,
0: love that stuff, you yeah. know? so, um, and that's still ongoing today, and I know you've, you've done a hell of a lot of that with junior development, so. It's all, it's all good stuff and, and um, let's just, we need to get the racing back and get it strong and, and uh, get more numbers back on the track.
2: Totally agree and a great way to finish the pod with the Tasman Challenge. It pretty much explains how much of a family sport this is and the last one hour of our podcast has explained that. Thank you. It's a privilege to listen to the story of the Welsh family and I mean, it really is a demonstration of how this sport can bring a family and keep a family together for so many years.
1: Thanks so much, Leo. You are an absolute champion. Don't forget, please subscribe, like, and share our Podbean page so we can keep this going. Thanks, Lumpy.
0: The question to win a bag full of goodies valued at $350 from our sponsors Savage Force, Rubber Jungle, Bad Lad, and Bullet Boats is what lap was Leo on in the Bill McLaughlin when the engine expired in Island Cooler? Head to our
1: Facebook page and send us your message with your answer. You've been on the rope. Bye for now.
2: Audio production has been proudly produced by Mal's Media in association with our on the road podcast sponsors: Colley's Towbars and Bullbars, Mark Savage Merchandise, Bullet Boats, Rubber Jungle Wetsuits, TJH Coaching and Consulting, Rapid Concepts, Sven
1: Productions, Bad Lad Australia, and Bisho Media.